You're very welcome, everybody, to today's uh, discussion. My name is Stephen Bowes. I'm Head of Technology here with BSI's Cybersecurity and Information Resilience Team. Um, I'm delighted to be joined today by Creators CISO for Northern Europe, Mark Lueck. Um, Mark, it's been great to join us today. I'm going to have a chat about cloud security. We're going to talk about information security in the industry um, and hopefully address a couple of points that some of our customers have been, have been experiencing. So, Mark, as more and more data and applications are moving to the cloud, you know, the CISO role that, that you fulfill is obviously becoming quite critical. Mark, can you tell us a little bit about your background, uh, some of the industries you've worked on, and uh, how you came to be in the position you're currently in? Sure. Thanks. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening as well. Um, but thanks, Stephen, for inviting me. Um, yeah, I've been doing this security thing since about 1995, 96. So I guess 22, 23, 24 years. Uh, and I, I have a real profoundly strong technical background, but I kind of left technology behind perhaps 10 years ago to really focus on building security capability in my customers. I've been in, I started in the, in the publishing industry. Um, I've been through finance, through, um, I spent quite a few years in finance and uh, outsourcing and I spent two stints in the vendors and, and I'm now of course with said scaler in the vendor again. Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how we all come from various different backgrounds. My background was primarily financial services uh, and going into consulting then uh, six years ago. Um, but what was great about financial services was the fact that banks get security. They've got it for hundreds and hundreds of years. So as, a, as an IT guy joining uh, the industry for the first time, uh, security was really um, put into my mindset from the outset uh, as I move my way through the, the various roles. So it's, it, it's, it's, it's great that people have different backgrounds and different variations, because I guess that's what, what it, it is required in the seasonal role is those various elements, you know, from various different uh, industries and, and companies and so on. So that, that, that's, that's really good. Um, so from a cloud perspective, um, we're seeing a lot of uh, transformation in the industry over the last couple of years. Um, digital transformation obviously being a big one and, and cloud computing uh, is, is part of that. So with, with that in mind, um, what are the most significant transformations that cloud computing platforms can provide to our clients? Well, it's a really interesting question. I'll go back to what you just said about, about um, financial services, because it's interesting. Financial services are good at security. They are good and great at security, and they get it the same way that super tankers get transporting oil. It works really, really well. It's a fantastic way of doing it, but unfortunately, it's not particularly agile. Uh, and I think that uh, the transformations that cloud is uh, allowing businesses to um, make, and in some ways forcing businesses to make, are exactly that, are forcing us to become more agile with our IT choices and the way we use IT. I think the most important and significant one, though, is that it's democratizing the use of IT and it's changing us from, it's transforming us, I'll use that word, transforming us from the, the typical use of IT as a central service, IT being distributed, uh, and, and in some ways delivering a lot more choice to our users. And that's driving a fundamental change in, in the way we consume IT. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point about the agility. You know, people uh, who are aware of cloud computing and the NIST definition of cloud computing, and of course they, they have their five parameters of what defines cloud computing. But obviously, on-demand elasticity. You know, this the self-service portal. That's exactly what you're saying about the agility, the ability to spin up compute resources as and when required to meet business challenges. You know, and obviously a lot of businesses mm -hmm. are seasonal. 
And so at Christmas, certain businesses will require more compute and indeed at Easter, summer, etc. So that's a, that's a really, really good point. Um, so look, clients are on this digital transformation. Cloud is forming a major part of that as 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 you, as you will. And from, from a security perspective, there's obviously a number of concerns and something uh, items that CISOs need to be aware of. So from your perspective, what have you seen to be the client's top uh, three or so cloud security concerns? Uh, there's a difference but for me in the cloud security concerns. You've got to split this between perceived risk and measured risk. <clears throat> I harp on about this all the time. Perceived risk is the risk we immediately feel in our gut when we're talking about handing over control, losing control of something we've had control of before and pushing it somewhere to, to a place that we don't know. That's why we use the word cloud. It's basically this somewhere else. But measured risk is different. Measured risk is the actual risk that we're measuring that in, in, in the use of these services. And it's important to say that there's not no risk. There's quite a bit of risk in, in using cloud services, but it's understanding that. And I think that the, the concerns that, that I think need, we need to look at carefully is gaining visibility and control. So we talked about how using cloud allows a business to be more agile and agile is great, but agile with no control, no structure, no governance is not great. And that is a significant risk. And in order to gain that control, businesses really need to gain visibility and understand what both the business wants and what the business is doing. So that's something that, you know, that primary step of understanding what cloud usage looks like, what cloud strategy looks like, and that requires twofold. One is a product. You know, our product Zscaler can provide that visibility into the use of the internet, so you can see cloud services, what they're using, how they're logging in, how much it's being used for, what whether documents are being stored up there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but also, it requires an engagement with the business to understand what the business is demanding outside of what it's using in an ungoverned way, and, and that's a big concern. Secondly, yeah. of course, uh, and, and a major concern is is how we use cloud compute. And that's a completely different question than cloud services, because actually we're pushing, we're not, we're no longer just using something like Salesforce is just a cloud service. It's great where we've got sensitive data in there and you, there's concern, there's risk, but it's measurable. When we move compute, it's a whole different story. And I think the biggest concern there is the default nature of, of a cloud compute in a hybrid private cloud or something like that is that it is on the internet. And that's a significant concern, especially that that would suggest you're limited to those things which should have been on the internet in the first place. And that is not what businesses want. And therefore, how do we act? How do we present a cloud compute in a way that it makes it dark to the internet? So it's just an extension of our data centers. And that is a, a whole new area Gartner is, is creating about extended network, um, uh, extended secure network. And we, our own product, um, ZPA or Zscaler uh, Private Access addresses the same problem. It allows a computer a network to go completely dark. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I pick up on one of the points you just mentioned there about visibility and one of the concerns being visibility. You're absolutely right. I actually had a conversation this morning uh, around a client requesting our assistance to us uh, regarding their AWS visibility. And I was discussing about metrics around this. I mean, what what is it you want to know? Is it that you want to know that there's 50 gigabytes of data in the cloud? Is it that you want to know how there's 50 containers of one gigabyte in the cloud? And there, there was a discussion around this. And one of the recommendations I made was obviously that we can look at it from a technology perspective in terms of portals and, and CASBs and, and run a report. But I actually said, look, why don't we run a finance report and um, filter on AWS? 
AWS because at the end of the day, being cloud compute, um, it has to go via credit card, as you know, to finance. Everybody, everybody's credit card has to be cleared at the end of the month. So if we do a finance report uh, and, and run some filters around AWS or Azure or Amazon, whatever narrative, uh, we could have a pretty good initial starting point into gaining visibility of your pervasiveness in the Amazon cloud in that instance. You know, So you, you are correct. Um, as the, 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 the power of the cloud, which is the ease with which we can provision it and, and spin it up, is also a detriment in, uh, in terms of the business, in terms of um, maintaining that, you know, do I have full visibility of it? Have we got cost control and so on and so forth? So it's a really good point you raised there around visibility, you know? Um, and if I can actually extend that discussion for, for a second, I mean, other elements that, that we need to have a think about is obviously around the costs of the provisioning of this compute and, uh, and governance. So from your perspective and from your experience with your clients, what approach would you recommend to clients around that in terms of understanding costs and governance for cloud usage? I think uh, it's, it, it's an important point, uh, not just an important point. I just had a discussion at a conference um, just last week on, on this very point, and that is how do we as security professionals stop saying no to cloud and start saying yes and here's how? And, and cost is part of that. However, you know, in general, I think cost is less uh, less of a concern for us in security than governance. Governance is really important, and it's it's simply about about understanding that perceived risk versus measuring measured risk, understanding what it is the business is demanding, and looking for a safe on ramp to use of the cloud. And your policy will have to change, but that's not an impossible change. It's understanding that that. It is no longer 1997 anymore, and and, uh, and and addressing these policies and understanding what the the uh, the trust boundary between you and a cloud provider looks like, and understanding what they're willing to do, and understanding what you're responsible for, enables that on ramp to the cloud. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, we we ran a survey last year uh, in the UK in the public sector, and we asked it was qu quite a, a long survey, about seventy odd questions, and we got a, a fantastic. We got nine hundred responses back from seven hundred different organisations, and um, in terms of the point about costs, costs came right down the bottom uh, of the uh, of the list, and indeed Microsoft now, who are going to their their clients are saying you do not move to the cloud to save money. You're doing it because it builds your resilience. It gives you additional collaborative uh, capabilities. It gives you the ability to uh, have enhanced continuity and so on and so forth. There's various reasons why you go to the cloud. Um, but cost is, is pretty much not one of them. If, you, if you're looking to go to the cloud um, for saving money, it's in the end, in, in the long game, it, 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 you will save money initially, obviously, OpEx versus CapEx, but in the long run of the scheme of things, uh, that's not really the, the main business driver. And that was that was the feedback we got from the survey we conducted. So that, that's an interesting one. Um, so on that basis, we've obviously got uh, information security professionals. We, you know, we people have been around for a long time and we've moved through various phases of storage and compute, as you know, Mark, over the years, we used to have servers and racks in comms rooms on the second floor or the fifth floor, whatever floor it was on, you know? And then we went through a phase that we then moved them all out to the data center and started building up 
SANS and NASs and you know replication synchronization all that good stuff and now we're moving to the cloud uh, and we're moving the data out of the data centers into the cloud which I guess as you say is someone else's data center so with all of this change going on all this transformation going on what advice would you give to professionals who are in the industry in terms of how be the best way to keep up to date with all of these developments without overloading themselves um, on, on a day-to-day -day basis? I think it, uh, the, the, the typical advice you're going to get, and I'm going to give it to you now, is the elephant can be eaten in just in many, many different bites. <clears throat> and because we have conflated all sorts of practices in the cloud uh, under one banner, and we use this the marketing term cloud is unfortunately been overused for all of them, I think it's important to start drawing some boundaries for yourself. I, I gave you some of that in a moment a couple of answers ago and that is you know for instance cloud compute is very different from cloud services cloud services can be different and divided in themselves you know you've got uh, services for storage you've got services for um, business process you know something like salesforce is very different from box they're both cloud services if you break them into these pieces and understand what the function they're serving that immediately gives you a, a better handle on addressing what it is you're trying to control and or allow um, and for me, that's the first step. Instead of looking at cloud, break cloud into into many categories because they are naturally different categories. That's fair enough. You know, I have a team of cloud security uh, consultants who work for me, and um, the way I, I talk to them is um, we don't set big objectives like you must sit a certain cloud exam by April or December, anything like that. Really, what it, for me, what it, the way I would keep up to date and, and have done is just reading uh, and listening to stuff literally every day just even for five minutes just reading an article picking up a, a link on linkedin you know someone posted an interesting link to it to an article whatever uh, listen to a podcast um whatever it is just just picking up a, one nugget of knowledge a day and just building it up over time i think is is the only way to do it you know it, it, the industry is moving at such a rapid rate that if you try to do it in a, in a sizable chunk i'm going to get a master's in cloud computing for example well that's going to be out of date you know a month after you graduate so it's a uh, you know, but that's the great thing about technology. Uh, we embrace that change and, and those transformations, and and they'll continue to change over the course of the years. You know, which is it's pretty interesting. It's a great um, career for people with short attention spans, isn't it? Yes, it is, and, and I do have one, and I've been told time and again by the family too. around that. You know, um, come here to me. Um, speaking of family and, and speaking of people, obviously, look at the end of the day, it's it's all about people. For me, when we talk about this, at the, at the end of the day, it's all about connecting people with data. You know, data sits somewhere, people connect to it, and that's how we get the value. That's how the businesses get the value out of what it is. Everything we're doing is ensuring that that's done in a secure and, and, and a fast and efficient and so on way. So, obviously, there's been a lot of talk in the industry around uh, the human factor in terms of, you know, being vulnerable and so on and so forth. So, how, in your experience, can an organization um, minimize uh, th that vulnerability, minimize the risks around employees, and what's the best way to to uh, address and educate those 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 people? Uh, it's a, it's a it's an area that's changing significantly. Uh, uh, Ten years ago, we were doing nothing for employees. Now, four or five years ago, um, security awareness training became quite uh, normal, um, and I think we're now realizing that training the workforce is ineffective. And because what we're really trying to do is establish the security culture. The problem is that no one can really understand, except for some really intelligent people. I'll call out to my uh, colleague, um, Jess Barker, Dr. Jess Barker. She's foremost uh, opinion, opinions on this in this space. But how do you build a security culture? In fact, what is a security culture? And I think 
for myself, it's only something that can be built over time. And training is an element of it, but it's really more about constant communication and constant awareness of, of, of what that security culture is made up of, what it, it, what it means. And that just requires a slow, long drip process of information to employees and understanding what, how, how to, for instance, um, ensure that security is part of their own goals and their own designs. It's not easy. It is not a, a, a simple or quick fix at all. Uh, we used to look at, at the results of training uh, and and uh, and and you test your you know your phishing testing for instance. And I was like, ah, it was decried. Oh my God, this is the best because we can now see that we've had an improvement over over six months. We've had less people fall for our phishing campaigns. I'm not so sure that isn't more about learning how to spot a phishing campaign. So, is that is that work forever? This is what I mean about establishing a security culture. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Look, it's it's a layered approach. It's it's a layered in-depth approach. And um, there's there's awareness training, as you say. There's phishing simulation exercises and capturing that. You are correct. Um, there's obviously technology tools that we put in place. You know, sandboxing and, and Zscaler is part of that process as well. Um, and ultimately, uh, I, I think communication is very important. I think you know employees need to understand that from a risk management perspective. Or, and when we talk about risk management, we talk about impact and probability. Um, you're, what we're doing as as security professionals is looking to absolutely minimize the probability that it occurs through all of these layered approaches. Uh, and, but what needs to be communicated to staff uh, is the impact, is that if one gets through and if it has a, a, a major impact, there could be significant disruption to the business, you know. And, um, you know, once you communicate that across, then it really heightens their sense of awareness. Um, and it's interesting, you, you've mentioned Jess Barker. Jess spoke at our cybersecurity uh, resilience exchange earlier this year. Uh, in Dublin, their annual event, and she came on and gave a fantastic, well, very well received uh, talk on the human factor. Um, as you know, that's her specialty, and um, so it was great to have her talk. And it went down very well with our with our attendees. She's a really um, great speaker. Yeah, no, she is. She's she's great. So moving on to another element of the, 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 this transformation that we, we've we've been discussing today. Um, look, one of the one of the powers of the cloud is uh, the the capability to access a cloud service from any device at any time from any location. Um, it's a key um, benefit. It's a key collaborative uh, business driver, and so on and so forth. But it also brings with it uh, a number of challenges. Um, and again, you know, based on your experience, um, you know, somebody accessing the cloud service from their phone in the car park, uh, you're, we're outside the perimeter. What's the best way to manage this this challenge? Um, you know, from from your perspective. Well, I think I'd address your question slightly, or or your, your initial statement, and that was that. Part of the advantage of cloud is, is connecting from anywhere, anything, anytime, et cetera. And I think that that's a little bit of a broad statement. That suggests that we shouldn't have any control at all. And I think actually what we're trying to do is make it, uh, make access to it convenient to the employee or the person who needs access to that, but within a certain set of limits is appropriate. That's what security's all been about, always been about is, is to limit but enable, enable but limit. Um, and, and that limiting is all about protecting the business. <clears throat> so in our case, obviously, we provi we're providing an, an opportunity to, to leverage the exact same controls for anyone on any device that is, is registered or is used that way. So that someone can access um, a private network which isn't available on the internet from their mobile device or from their computer, whether they're at home or whether they're in the office, and making that an incredibly consistent connection 
mechanism. That, that, that's that's ideal, but I would I would want to argue away from simply saying from anything because I don't necessarily think that's an appropriate uh, response from security. That's us forgetting our, our primary job is to protect the business. Yeah, no, it's a great point. It's a great point. Um, yeah, 100%. And um, and just moving on from that point, but related to it, um, data, I, I mentioned earlier on about, uh, it's all about connecting people with data. And, and obviously the mobility is one element of connecting into the data. So from a data perspective, um, securing data is obviously a big challenge for us, okay? Um, and obviously we're aware of data breaches, we're aware of privacy acts coming in across the world from GDPR in Europe, all the way to the Privacy Act in California and so on and so forth, uh, with, with some repercussions around that. So with that in mind, um, can you tell me some of the key data challenges that you've seen in the market over, over the last couple of years and how C-level uh, executives with responsibility for security um, can overcome those challenges? I think a mindset change is helpful. Um, and I think you're probably, you know, coming from where I'm coming from, you'll kind of get where I'm saying this. We've been trusting the network uh, as, as, the, as the means to get access to data for all this time. And it's not an appropriate way of securing data. When you start looking at the data as, as islands of an import or you know, islands of sensitivity, and then you look at, at uh, instead of uh, looking at networks, you start looking at the individuals who are using those networks, and then you draw links between individuals to data or individuals and applications. This mindset change, which other people would might call zero trust, um, it is fundamental in order to, to start protecting the data more appropriately. The second is we have to get better at recognizing our data. And I'm not just talking about technologies like DLP. You know, we, for instance, we have a DLP capability as well, but it has to be bigger than that. Bigger than that, we have to actually recognize it as businesses. What data is important to us? It's not, and it's much more complicated than just classification. We actually have to have a very good handle on the data data that we manage. Um, now, I haven't given you a specific control. Oh, I've talked about DLP, and that's one element. But it's really, if we change that mindset internally and see that data is our treasured asset rather than systems, rather than networks, rather than, than, than the applications themselves, we, we stand a far better chance of protecting it. Yeah, it's a good point. I I, I constantly discuss uh, the data lifecycle with clients in terms from the from the creation of data all the way through to the destruction of data. Um, if there was one control, if there's one word I would use, and it's actually the only technical word in the GDPR itself, the regulation, um, it's the word encryption. If you do nothing else, encrypt across the data lifecycle from the transport to, to the storing and so on and so forth it's the, it's the one word obviously there's a whole ton of other words that we can wrap around data data security but that's the one word i would give to everybody it's, it's the word encryption you know yeah, we have to be careful encryption because encryption by itself is not a particularly effective control because of course how are you managing your keys who has access to the the, the data it, it is one control and I, the reason i didn't mention it is of course encryption is important but in, in management of that encryption, the application of that encryption is equally important. Uh, and, and, and other controls will access control. Encryption just becomes a means to enforce it. The access control itself is incredibly essential. If your entire business has access to it, or if you're doing hard drive encryption, literally everything, including other you know, partners in cloud compute can access that, that's not no encryption at all. Yeah, no, that's fine. And encryption is no good as you say if the keys are, are either lost or breached and so on and so forth. Uh, but yeah. as I say, it was just it was just one term, if nothing else. Um, I agree entirely. So so shifting forward uh, into the future a little bit, just for the next couple of years, 
Um, how do you see the role of these technical C-level execs, the CIO, CTO, CISO, uh, evolving in the, in the coming short term, in the kind of three years? What challenges do you think we'll face? I mean, do you think we'll simply see an extension of existing challenges? Do you think we'll see some new challenges as technology completely evolves? Um, what, what are you seeing? What do you think you'll see over the coming you know, uh, three years or so? I think the first thing um, is that the CTO and the CISO are going to have to make the same journey that the CIO has already made, and that is becoming a business function rather than an ivory tower of of, of control and and and, um, and centralization. Um, in particular, the CISO, obviously, that's what I've been doing for years, <clears throat> has to learn to understand that they are enabling the business to continue safely rather than trying to control or be a policeman for that business. It's not effective anymore. Getting involved with what your, you know, what, what a corporation's end of your reports actually mean. How to align with strategy. How can security be an enabler for the business that they, that they're doing? These are an incredibly strong and important learning curve um, that the CISO and the CTO will need to be going on. Um, as far as which challenges specifically those three three will face, it, like always, we're going to be seeing an overall reducing budget. Although the CISO is still seeing. Um, from our from our results from Club CISO, we're seeing that there's still overall a, a rise in budget, but it's it's because there's a, a, been a rise in need. Um, but overall, the IT and security budgets as a whole are reducing, and we're having to do more with less. Yeah, um, yeah, and I, I'd actually add an additional point to that, which is what we're seeing in the industry is a whole new level of C-level uh, titles being uh, bandied about. Obviously, previously we just had the Chief Information Officer. We now have, as you say, CTOs and CISOs. We now have Chief Risk Officers. We're seeing Chief Data Officers. Uh, and I see that continuing because what's happening is the estate, especially for enterprises, is becoming so large. Even a Chief Data Officer trying to get a handle on that in itself is going to be a huge task uh, in terms of mapping data, capturing data, knowing about it and so on. So I see just a whole series of new kind of more specialized uh, jobs coming on stream over the next couple of years to just to to quantify and give the, the right amount of context to each role you know give the right amount of autonomy because at the end of the day this, the, the chief information officer is going to be wholly dependent upon his those, those those people who are in charge of risk security and so on and so forth um, so it's going to be very very interesting in that space and, and, and sticking with this kind of theme around you know next couple of years um, what type of technologies, what you know, kind of next generation technologies do you think we're going to be seeing in the future? And and then relating it back into Zscaler's world, um, you know, what kind of next gen technologies do you guys look to be covering off over, over the coming kind of couple of years? I think technologies at large, um, if I was to talk about AI and ML, um, board, however, uh, Defense is getting better or technology is getting better through learning from large, large quantities of data. And this is, of course, going to change fundamentally how we interact with our technology and, of course, what our technology is doing for us. And, and in security, we're, we're, that is no different in security than it is elsewhere. There are some good products out there already which are based on machine learning and, and, and deep learning. And, and I just see that getting more prevalent. <clears throat> um, as far as... as um, the, 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 what Zscaler is doing in this space, I mean, we are focusing and widening our, our, our capabilities. 
we started with with ZIA, which was our Internet Access, which which you know at its base was a was a, a proxy, but became far more you know, with firewall, etc. Everything everything in the outbound stack. Internally, we we moved inbound, I should say, we moved to, and started to use ZPA, uh, and now our next. Um, motion forward is, is with browser isolation. This is just to kind of fulfill our remit of being the replacement for most of network security in, in a new cloud-enabled world because the old model doesn't really work anymore. It's changed significantly. So yeah, that's that's what we're we're seeing. We're moving towards towards making sure we are a one-stop shop for that entire network security space. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, um, one thing that's always should be remembered by everybody that we're talking to our clients is that it, there's also the reverse of this, which is the threat element of it. So while there's great strides being made in machine learning, predictive coding, all of that good stuff, um, the bad guys are also have access to that technology as well and, can, and reverse that against you. So in terms of using machine learning against you, and obviously they've been doing that. And the same for IoT. IoT will bring fantastic benefits uh, into the home, uh, into the retail industry, and into the kind of the ease of life, you know, ordering stuff, talking verbally, getting songs played, get your lights dimmed. But the reverse of it is true. And we can see the bad guys using EOT distributed devices for DDoS attacks. If, uh, or indeed, you know, we've heard the horror stories from back in the earlier days of IoT, uh, whereby people could spy on cameras and so on and so forth. Um, BSI has actually made some very good strides on this and actually has developed three standards for IoT. They were done in 2018. Um, one is for personal use, one is for uh, kind of retail, commercial use, and then one is a higher level for kind of government critical uh, infrastructure services use um, and so uh, BSI have developed those standards they are available for use and they basically build on the ISO 27,000 family uh, but then obviously are, are specifically um, orientated towards IoT devices and continuous assessment and improvement and so on so I'd, I'd urge people who if, if you if your business model is to be looking at deploying IoT or using IoT to, to check out BSI's uh, standards in that space and give you some kind of um, some kind of uh, you know quantification around those those risks. IoT has been a very quiet revolution uh, in in that we was talked about and, and and trumpeted some five to eight years ago, uh, and I wondered well what is this going to be because everybody used the example of the kettle or the fridge. That hasn't been the technology to to take off and utilize IoT. It's everything else, and it is everywhere. And now it's endemic, and in a good way. It really is enabling. It's not just the convenience stuff. There are fantastically wide-ranging number of IoT um, devices used in industry and at home now. It's just normal. Yeah, it is interesting. And also, one thing we've been saying to our clients is around uh, take. You know, when you go to when you go to work on, on a given day, you take a lot of security precautions for granted. You know, you've got system admins, security admins who are patching devices. They've got CCTV co coverage up. They've got you know sh shutters, locked server rooms, and all that. And they're, you know, they're they're putting your security. They're looking after security. But when you go home. You don't have that. And what's happening now with these IoT devices, and I'll give you an example, like the Nest doorbells, the Ring, um, these have cameras and you know they're, they're, they're uploading to cloud services, but the whole security around them is in your hands as the, as the owner in terms of ensuring the firmware is updated, in terms of you're not breaching anybody's privacy rights so that your camera is only in on your 
you know, physical location and, and so on. So you do need to actually adapt some of the business security practices that you're used to on a day-to-day -day basis, but you do need to adapt them at home, making sure, you know, you're, you've got strong passwords and so on and so forth. So it is an interesting, the way it's, it's creeping into the personal life as well, that the technology posture, because if you don't do it, it, it can be breached, then it can be wiped, you can lose stuff yeah, and so on and so forth, you know? I do. Um, so look, we're coming up on the end on the end of our time together, Mark. I just want to round out with one final query for you, um, and I just it's a generic query. So, or, or just pose this question to you. So, for, in your opinion, um, what? How can organisation become more resilient against the, the the security risks that are out there? What are kind of just some of the top tips? If a company said to you, look, we're an, S we're an SME, we've got a thousand users, we're just putting a security program together. Mark, what should we do? What's the top tips that you, you should tell us that we should begin to address the security risk and build up our, our resilience in this space? Right. I guess the first top tip I'd say is don't try to do it yourself. Use a framework. Uh, frameworks are, are plenty are out there. Uh, ISO 27001 being one. Um, and, uh, However, 27001 is very difficult to build from. It's better to assess from. The one I would recommend is to use the NIST CSF, uh, the cybersecurity framework, and it allows you to really say, it asks questions. It's outcome-based rather than uh, control or, 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 or functional-based. And it asks questions. What are you doing to see what equipment you've got out there? What are you doing if to detect whether you have anomalous behavior? What are you doing in order to um, prevent um, you know, malicious access to your, thing, to, your, to your equipment? A lot of questions, those are only a few. And it allows you to, to look back in your estate and build a program that's appropriate for you. The second thing, the tip for anyone who's trying to start up a capability or retrofit a capability is to look at those basics first. Please don't go out and buy some expensive security technology when you're not patching or you don't even know what IT you have. Answer those basic questions first. And those are all, you know, going back to that framework, they're all in there. You can ask those yourself. Um, yeah, that's really good. It's the going to the basics is, is for me the most essential first step towards becoming more secure. Yeah, really good insights there. Mark, we're out of time. I want to really thank you uh, for your time today. It was an absolute pleasure talking with you and uh, look forward to having a chat on some future topics with you at Substage in the future. So thanks very much. And I hope uh, our listeners got some, some really good information in this session today. Thanks, Stephen.